Hey Moonshot listeners, it's Chris. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that Season 2 of our series Building a Unicorn is out right now. The show explores what it takes to build a big global business, and it features interviews with founders of big companies like CultureAmp, Epidemic Sound, and Airwallex. Just search for Building a Unicorn in your favourite podcast app. And in terms of Moonshot... We're bringing you a brand new season of Moonshot in a couple of weeks. So in the meantime, I want to share with you episode 5 of Supercharged, our series examining Tesla and their impact on the EV space. And in this episode, we're looking at Elon Musk and his massive influence over the company. So here it is, episode 5 of Supercharged. I now have the honour of introducing the person who on a daily basis at our company pushes the ideal that nothing is impossible. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Elon Musk! Tesla just wouldn't be the same without Elon Musk. As an early investor, inaugural chairman, majority shareholder and CEO, There is no doubt that he's steered the company into its prominent position in the electric vehicle industry. He's been compared to Iron Man's Tony Stark, and he's perhaps the most prominent leader and public figure of all car companies today. You know, Elon is a larger-than-life personality. Once again, it's Bloomberg reporter Dana Hull. He has a voracious mind. He's an incredibly avid reader. He's really into gaming. Uh, you know, I think he is demanding and exacting, but he he's demanding and exacting of himself as well. I mean, he works incredibly hard running two companies simultaneously. Um, you know, he just has like a voracious curiosity and a really kind of ambitious mind. And he... Uh, thinks about things, you know, in the future. And I think he inspires people because of that. But how did Elon become the person he is today? And how has his personality shaped Tesla as a company? From Lawson Media, this is Supercharged, a show about power, conflict, and the people who are driving change. I'm Christopher Lawson, and this season we're exploring electric vehicles and how Tesla is forcing the entire automotive industry to move towards an electric future. This is Episode 5, Insane Mode. Why are we making electric cars? Uh, Why does it matter? The mission of Tesla is to accelerate the advent of renewable energy. I think he is obviously a creative genius. Tesla has become more and more about Elon Musk. He's not known for being a great storyteller or giving great speeches, but people believe in him. It's financially insane to buy anything other than a Tesla. Elon Musk was born and raised in Pretoria, South Africa, to a Canadian mother and South African father. Like many innovators and entrepreneurs, Elon showed great aptitude from a young age. In a 2017 interview with Rolling Stone, he stated that he was raised by books. In 1983, at age 12, Elon created a computer game called Blaster, which he programmed entirely by himself. He then later sold it to a computer magazine for $500. 
Back then, we didn't even have the internet, right? There was no YouTube tutorial. There wasn't even Windows. He was building a computer game when we had DOS. That was a command line interface, and it was really hard to learn. That's Melissa Schilling, author of Quirky, a book that explores the science behind the traits and quirks that drive creative geniuses to make spectacular breakthroughs. Most people didn't even have computers back then. So for him to teach himself how to program a computer and to make this, this video game is, is really astonishing. So I'm sure when he did it and sold it, it gave him an intense sense of, wow, I can do things that actually make money. I can, if I set my mind to something, I can achieve things that other people will be really surprised by. So that was a big, important early win for him that I think helped contribute to his sense of self-efficacy. By 1988, Elon had obtained a Canadian passport and left South Africa to attend university in Ontario, Canada. A few years later, he would arrive in the United States and enrol at Stanford with the intention to do a PhD on energy storage technology for electric vehicles, although he dropped out after just two days to pursue an internet startup. Musk, along with his brother Kimball, founded his first company Zip2 in 1995. Zip2 was essentially an internet version of a telephone directory, and it had maps included. It was sold in 1999 to Compaq for 307 million US dollars. That same year, Musk founded his second company X.com, one of the world's first online banks. Less than six months into its existence, the company merged with Confinity, its main competitor, and was renamed PayPal, after the product that Confinity were already developing prior to the merger. He had a vision of the entire financial system being put on the internet. So what he wanted to do was something much grander than PayPal. And that's what X.com was supposed to be for. Now, he was disappointed a little bit because PayPal had an immediate payoff and its use was very clear to people. And so people started focusing on PayPal as opposed to a complete digital financial system. And so he was a little bit disappointed by that because he wanted to see something far grander. Still, the merger paid off for Elon, setting him on a path for further success. In 2002, PayPal was acquired by eBay for 1.5 billion US dollars. Musk walked away with 150 million in profit and went on to establish his next company, SpaceX, that same year. As a young man, Elon Musk had a vision for the sort of work that he wanted to do and the problems he wanted to help solve. And by this point in his career, he'd already tackled two of them. When I was in college, I, I tried to think, what are the really big problems that face the world, that, that which will most affect the future of humanity? And <clears throat> the, the, the three that, that uh, I thought were the most important were the Internet, um, uh, transition to a sustainable energy economy, and the third was uh, space exploration in, in particular, uh, becoming, uh, m- making life multiplanetary. That's Musk in a 2008 interview with the Henry Ford Museum. Although he has had financial success through his business ventures, Elon's motivations have always been greater. And part of that drive to solve some of the world's biggest problems was inspired by the kind of role models that he looked up to, 
people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And he also stated in that same 2008 interview that he takes more inspiration from Thomas Edison than his company's namesake, Nikola Tesla. I think, you know, obviously some of the the obvious role models. I think Edison was certainly a role model, um, probably one of the biggest role models. And um, and it's an interesting contrast, like Edison versus Tesla, because interesting, you know, the the car company is called Tesla. Um, And the reason it's called Tesla is because we use an AC induction motor, which is an architecture that Tesla developed. Um, And the guy probably deserves a little more play than he gets in current society. Um, But on balance, I'm a bigger fan of Edison than Tesla, um, because Edison brought his stuff to market and made those inventions accessible to the world, whereas Tesla didn't really do that. But Melissa Schilling says that she actually sees more similarities between Musk and Nikola Tesla, with a touch of Steve Jobs thrown in the mix as well. I think they're a lot alike. In fact, at one point when I was studying them, you know, I spent about it. I spent about a year first studying Steve Jobs before I got into Nikola Tesla and Elon. And at some point, I had this funny feeling that somehow Elon Musk was the secret love child of Nikola Tesla and Steve Jobs. Although I couldn't figure out the logistics of how that worked, but, but he has this interesting blend because, you know, like Nikola Tesla, he's got the photographic memory. You know, Nikola Tesla also had an obsession with Mars, a complete obsession with Mars, which is just a weird, strange coincidence, right? Uh, Nikola Tesla had the huge self-efficacy. Elon and he both had this incredible intelligence where they could do calculus and advanced physics in their heads. So they have these things in common. And also the, the intense, intense idealism they both have in common and the sort of social awkwardness I think they have in common. But, you know, Steve Jobs had a lot of those traits, but Steve Jobs could also be obstreperous and difficult and aggressive. And I think sometimes uh, Elon can be like that, too. But there are some times when Elon has done things at his company that people compare to Steve Jobs, uh, perhaps in a negative way. But it's part of this, I'm going to get it done, whether you like it or not attitude and also they're all all three of them are very low self-monitors which means none of them invested a lot of energy in thinking about how they were perceived by others actually Nikola Tesla was quite worried about his physical appearance but he didn't monitor the things he said or the way he behaved to seem normal that was not part of his motivation But perhaps the strongest trait that Elon shares with Nikola Tesla is his outlook on the world and how that influences the work he pursues. There's a form of religion in there, right? A belief, an intense conviction about what you can do in the world that is beyond what we see around us. And I think that Elon has that, right? Like he sees the world we're going to build on Mars and to him, it's real. And to other people, it's science fiction, right? And to have that intense faith, that's a form of religion, I would say. It's not a traditional religion. But it's a form of, of spirituality. Now, the one thing he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have the charisma, I don't think, right? He's, he's not known for being a great storyteller or giving great speeches, not the way that Steve Jobs was or the way perhaps Nikola Tesla was, but people believe in him. It's, it's about breaking a spell. So the world has been under this illusion that electric cars cannot be as good as gasoline cars, that if you have to go with an electric car, you're, you're accepting... a a product that's worse. Uh, What the Model S is fundamentally about is breaking that illusion. It's showing that that an electric car can in fact be the best car in the world. That's what makes it really important. Yeah. 
It's Musk's ambition and forward-thinking mindset that has enabled him to convince investors and customers to buy into his grand vision for Tesla. And since he took over as CEO in 2008, Elon has become the face of the company. Here's Dana Hull. Tesla and Elon are, are very intertwined here in the United States in terms of sort of corporate America. He's probably one of the most well-known CEOs that we have. He's very active on Twitter. He and he sort of markets the company like no other. So you know the the, the Tesla brand recognition is, is very intertwined with Musk as as a person. And uh, because Elon is you know is sort of a futurist who's involved in a lot of other endeavors, he's able to kind of pull off these marketing events. Uh, that benefit Tesla in a way that would be very difficult for anyone else to do. And Elon's visionary way of thinking influences every move Tesla makes. Tesla has become more and more about Elon Musk. This is author Edward Niedermeyer. He's become more and more central to everything uh, that the company does, but particularly its image. And I think that um, you know, as that's happened more and more, that you know, that's happened as they've gotten more into the mass market with the Model Three. Um, which actually requires, uh, again, a very different kind of culture. And uh, you know what we're seeing now is that there are divergences between what is good for Tesla and what is good for Elon Musk. And unfortunately, uh, Elon Musk and his image inside that company um, seem to be more important than what's the right thing for the company, period. And if you look at their governance, uh, the way their board is set up, um, you can understand sort of why that's happened. Elon Musk has basically, you know, the original founders have all been out for a long time, and he really just has a stranglehold on on power at that company. And um, some of that has been good, but again, as you get into a more mass market scale, no one person can manage, you know, thirty five thousand employees, which is what Tesla has. The only thing that can manage that scale is culture. <laughs> When you look at an industry like space exploration, where grand ideas are embraced, Elon's ambitious mind translates really well to that environment. And we clearly see that with everything Musk is achieving and striving for at SpaceX. But the automotive industry requires a very different kind of approach, and a lot of the problems that Tesla has experienced as they move further into mass market vehicles is directly related to Musk's bold vision for the company. You have to be a team player and a consensus builder to really rise to the top of one of these major automakers. When you have a smaller premium automaker, that's where traditionally you've seen the, the Elon Musk type characters, um, whether that's Enzo Ferrari or Ferruccio Lamborghini or Colin Chapman at Lotus. To make a great premium car, you need that um, uncompromised artistic almost vision to be realized, right? It's one person is going to have an artistic vision that a committee is just not going to have. I think the Model X is a really interesting illustration of that. The Model X could not get built by any other automaker because people from the manufacturing and, and quality assurance would have just said, listen, those doors, I get it, they look cool, but the costs are just going to be out of control. Let's just put regular doors on there. And ultimately they would win that debate. Inside of Tesla, the, the culture is very much one where people do not question Elon Musk's leadership, even when they know better. There just isn't a counterbalance. It's Elon Musk's vision and everybody else trying to make that into reality. But what you don't have are like as many robust debates 
you know, because, you know, people who are involved in this company find it very difficult, if not impossible, to stand up to Elon Musk's visions and to say, you know what, um, that seems like a good idea, but actually, if you really look at it, it's not going to be. And with all of his power and influence at Tesla, Elon Musk has become so important that the company's success or failure rests on his shoulders. In a way, the ultimate failure of leadership is when you build a company that cannot succeed without you. And my concern is, I think that Elon Musk may have done that. It's very difficult to imagine that Tesla would be able to certainly keep raising money the way they have. I don't know that they would have the brand image that they have, the appeal of the cars, um, and just sort of the, uh, the marketing and the PR that he does just by being him um, is so important. And, and, and also, culturally, inside the company, there isn't a self-sustaining culture. The culture at Tesla is, what will Elon think about it? If Elon will think this is a good idea, then we're going to do it. If he doesn't think it's a good idea, we won't do it. That's the culture. And so you remove him from it, and the culture becomes rudderless. He is both Tesla's greatest asset and its greatest liability. And after the break, Tesla's stability is tested as a single tweet costs Elon Musk his position as chairman. Through his many ventures, Elon Musk has risen to prominence as an incredibly public figure. He has a passionate fan base of people who believe in his aspirations, including 30 million followers on Twitter. But that profile also comes with responsibility, especially when you're the chairperson and CEO of a public company. On the 7th of August 2018, Musk posted an extremely controversial statement on Twitter. Quote, am considering taking Tesla private at $420. Funding secured. The tweet caused serious disruptions to the stock market and Tesla's stock price rose by more than 6%. That tweet caused enormous havoc. I mean, everyone was like, well, wait, who are the investors? Ultimately, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission sued Musk for securities fraud. Today, the SEC filed securities fraud charges against Elon Musk the chairman and CEO of Tesla Motors. The SEC's complaint, which was filed earlier today in federal district court, seeks a finding that Musk committed securities fraud, an injunction prohibiting him from doing so in the future, civil penalties, disgorgement of any ill-gotten gains, and a bar prohibiting Musk from serving as an officer or director of a public company in the future. That's the SEC's Stephanie Avakian at a press conference on September 27, 2018. So this was a big deal. Taking Tesla private would mean removing all of its public shareholders. And Musk's statement was problematic because it simply wasn't true. All of this was just part of Mr. Musk's very fertile imagination, but had no real basis in reality. This is Harvey Pitt, former chairman of the SEC from 2001 to 2003. 
The major principal function of the SEC is to guard the uh, market from um, the pernicious conduct of fraud artists and to ensure the fairness of our um, securities markets as well as full and fair disclosure by public companies that have raised money from the investing public. Mr. Musk's tweet about taking the company private was deemed by the SEC to be materially misleading because, among other things, there was no transaction, there was no financing, there had been no price established, there had been no special committee by the board of directors to govern all of this. While leading Tesla's investors to believe that he had a firm offer in hand, we allege that Musk had arrived at the price of $420 by assuming a 20% premium over Tesla's then existing share price and then rounding up to $420 because of the significance of that number in marijuana culture and his belief that his girlfriend would be amused by it. The tweet appeared designed to have an immediate market impact and this created an impression in the marketplace that he already had negotiated a transaction in which a willing buyer or group of buyers were willing to pay a specific price which he disclosed and the difficulty with that statement was um, most corporations are um, careful enough not to make important disclosures using Twitter or similar apps. Just two days after that SEC press conference, it was announced that Elon Musk had reached a settlement, agreeing to step down as chairman of Tesla. He also agreed to pay 40 million US dollars in penalties. There actually were two settlements. It appeared that initially Tesla and its lawyers had agreed to settle and then uh, Mr. Musk decided he did not want to settle with the SEC and he threw what some might call a hissy and got the board of directors to agree that it would support him and not settle the case with the SEC. The result of that was that a second settlement ultimately was crafted, but the second settlement was much worse for Mr. Musk and for Tesla than the original settlement had been because Mr. Musk had tried once to renege on a settlement, and the SEC, once bitten, was going to protect itself and the interests of investors. So I think it's important to realize that there were some very significant restraints that were intended to be imposed on Mr. Musk, 
as a result of the second effort at settling the case. And he ultimately went through and signed that settlement. That final settlement also required that Tesla appoint an independent chairperson, making Musk ineligible for the position for three years. Additionally, Tesla had to appoint two new independent directors to its board, and Musk's tweets and communications with investors now had to be monitored. But this didn't stop Elon from speaking out. Mr. Musk, after the settlement, went uh, on an attack of the SEC. I don't think that the SEC paid or pays any attention when people uh, want to attack it in the petulant manner exhibited by Mr. Musk, calling it the Short Sellers Enrichment Commission. He is not required to admire or think well of the SEC. But what he is required to do, however, is to live up to the terms of his agreement that there would be an adult in the room and before Mr. Musk would issue any more tweets, his tweets would be reviewed by whoever was serving as the adult in the room. This comes back to the kind of person Elon Musk is. Even the SEC wasn't going to hold him back. Here's Melissa Schilling. He's brilliant. He's super, super competent and capable, but he cannot be managed in the way you might want to manage him. So you just hold on and go for the ride. Would it be better if maybe there were limits on the things he said on Twitter? Probably. You know, having the stock be volatile is bad. Having people lose faith in the stock is bad because you need the stock to do well in order to sustain, you know, being able to get access to capital. And he needs capital to run that company because, remember, it's, it's a relatively young company, so it consumes a lot of cash. Companies that are growing as fast as Tesla are growing are going to be in the red for a while. That's normal, right? That's not doesn't mean they're failing. That's just the process of rapid growth because you have to build out assets long before you can earn profits on them. So, so having some limits on the things he says on Twitter, probably good. The, the second part, could the board of directors manage him? Probably not. You know, he's going to be his own person. He is never going to defer to authority, probably of any kind. So the only point at which he's going to be restrained in what he says on Twitter is going to be the point at which he decides to restrain himself. It's not going to be somebody else restraining him. It's a kind of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, um, what fans and customers love about Elon is that he is accessible. I mean, he will answer customer questions and complaints and feedback on Twitter. Um, you know, if you catch him at the right moment, he'll respond. Um, he's seen as very sort of accessible and authentic, which is which is an attribute that a lot of people like. But on the downside, if he's tweeting out material information and, and moving the stock market, in the eyes of regulators, that that is securities fraud. And Elon Musk seems to have made a bit of a habit of his controversial or misleading tweets. On the 20th of February 2019, Musk posted, quote, Tesla made zero cars in 2011, but will make around 500,000 in 2019. 
This figure wasn't consistent with numbers released by the company, and four hours later, Musk had backtracked, clarifying that deliveries for 2019 were estimated to be about 400,000. Another series of tweets in 2018 landed Musk in a court case. It all began with efforts to rescue a young soccer team and their coach who had been trapped in a cave in Thailand. Musk had offered to help by building a custom submarine, but by the time it was ready for deployment, a rescue mission was already underway. Vernon Unsworth, a British diver involved in the rescue, had told CNN that Musk could, quote, stick the submarine where it hurts, believing it to be a PR stunt. Musk retaliated on Twitter, calling Unsworth a pedo guy, before swiftly deleting the post. Unsworth sued Musk for defamation, before Musk hired a private investigator to look into Unsworth in order to back up his claim. Throughout the court case, Musk maintained his stance that his tweet was an insult, not defamation. Following a two-day trial, on December 6, 2019, a jury found that Musk's tweets did not meet the legal standard of defamation. It's worth noting that at the time of recording, several of Musk's questionable tweets are still online, including his initial post about taking Tesla private. And we'll be back with more Supercharged after this quick break. While Musk is clearly a smart and successful innovator, far too often his actions have negatively impacted Tesla. Here's Harvey Pitt. For shareholders in Tesla, why would anyone want to see their CEO behave petulantly and attack a regulator that could exercise what many believe could be life and death power over the company. It's just not wise to wave a red flag in front of a bull. But Mr. Musk seems to enjoy doing that. I think he is obviously a creative genius. He had very strong ideas about what electric cars could do, and as we are all witnessing around the globe, um, Tesla's efforts are being emulated by virtually every major automobile manufacturer now, and Tesla has had a very good public reception Although it has had some serious operating problems, it has not been able to deliver cars at anywhere near the pace um, it requires. It is losing money at an alarming rate, and its debt load is constantly increasing. In that environment, What shareholders deserve is to have a leader who combines Mr. Musk's creativity and his creative genius with a leader who understands how to operate an enormous 
manufacturing concern and knows how to put everything together in a way that assures the public that the efforts of the company are directed at solving its operational problems and taking full advantage of the creative genius that has gotten them so much acclaim. It seems to me that Mr. Musk has 50% of that equation, but he is lacking in the qualities that I believe reasonable investors would find reassuring in a CEO of an enterprise that has had more than its share of operational difficulties. Obviously, Elon Musk also has his responsibilities with SpaceX, and Harvey says that dividing his time across both companies, as well as his many other commitments, could be making matters worse. It's certainly possible to take two well-established, highly efficient companies and manage both of them in a way that promotes shareholder values, takes advantage of synergies, and produces good results for both companies. I believe when you're dealing with two startups that are on the outer edges of corporate um, developments, uh, one electrical cars and the other space exploration, neither of which um, can be run pursuant to an already existing template, um, it becomes exceedingly difficult for any individual, even one as creative as Mr. Musk, to run both companies uh, equally well and serve the shareholders of both companies. I think there is a major risk in trying to do too much and do so with what clearly appears to be far too little in the way of resources and the like. I think it has been difficult for him at times to delegate. Again, this is Dana Hull. One of the criticisms of Tesla is that, you know, not only does Tesla not have a COO, but, you know, Elon is not a full-time CEO. He's not there every day. He spends a lot of time on SpaceX. But that said, he works sort of an incredible number of hours. So, you know, whether he's physically there in the CEO chair from 9 to 5 every day doesn't really matter. I mean, he's always very engaged with what's going on on the company. But I, I do worry about him burning out. I mean, he you know, is, is, is running two companies. And that's a tall order for anyone. I mean, you know, it's, it's very hard to do successfully. And uh, you have to just sort of wonder about succession planning. Um, if Elon ever wanted to take a step back and just focus on SpaceX, you know, who would run Tesla? Who would be the, the heir apparent? And that's not very clear right now. It's rare for CEOs to be involved in so many projects. Critics will say that you know, he's stretched too thin, that he really just needs to focus on Tesla, that, you know, Tesla needs a CEO who can just be 100% there. 
but um, he wouldn't be Elon if he did that. So, you know, I guess I'm just sort of curious about his own time management. Is he sleeping well at night or is he an insomniac? You know, just how is he sort of doing personally? Because he's talked quite openly about the excruciating toll that all of this has taken on him. And the CEO of the company should not need to sleep on the factory floor to make sure that things are getting done. So, people see it as a sort of an indication of just how dedicated to Tesla Musk is. And I'm not doubting that, but I don't think it's necessarily a positive thing. I think it raises questions about the ability of everyone else to get things done in chains of command and, um, you know, the delegation piece. As Tesla moves forward, unwavering in their mission, their biggest challenges are yet to come. But all eyes will be on Elon Musk, the one person on which this company's fate rests. His fans say that it's not about the money for him. And obviously when you hear you know, someone say a billionaire doesn't care about money, that's, that, that rarely rings true, right? But I think in the case of Tesla, there is actually some truth to that because this pattern that we've seen with him, I think there's, there's never really been a point at which Tesla ever um, seemed like it would actually make a lot of money. But I think what he did see um, was that Tesla could be an amazingly strong brand and that by associating that brand with him and, and him with that brand, it could make him into you know this, this really uh, popular, beloved, popular culture figure. And he's done that. He wanted to be seen as the visionary behind Tesla. And so um, he's built his image too around, around these altruistic ideas, saving the planet from pollution, building another home for, for humans in the stars. And I think those have been really powerful at building that image as well. And again, I think that's what, that's what motivates him is, is, I think those goals genuinely motivate him, but I think also the idea that he is this guy that is solving these heroic problems. He clearly wants to be seen as a hero and he is seen by many as a hero. Coming up on the final episode of Supercharged for Season 1, as our transition to sustainable energy continues, how will our electric grids adapt? And what does the future hold for Tesla? I don't think the future of electric vehicles depends upon Tesla. There are some triumphs, there are hardships. It'll be a really interesting competitive landscape as all this shapes up. My fear is that they've painted themselves into a corner. You know, every time that Tesla comes out with a car, it's kind of a bet the company sort of project. Each product launch is sort of mission critical. Supercharged is a production of Lawson Media and is hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. Mixing and production by James Parkinson. Jasmine Mee Lee is our assistant producer. Andrew Millist created our artwork and Nick Buchanan composed our theme track. Music in this episode from Breakmaster Cylinder and our ad music comes from Epidemic Sound. For more information about the series or to find episode transcripts and sources, head to chargedshow.com or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Charged Show. If you're enjoying this series and you'd like to support the work we do, then I encourage you to share it with a friend. And if you're feeling really generous, you can also head to our website, chargedshow.com slash donate. Thanks for listening.